My, uh, my, my favorite thing in life is actually not being the pastor of hope. <clears throat> it's being a little league coach. I do this to support that hobby. <laughs> it is probably the funnest thing I do in life. And those moments in between innings where I get a chance to huddle the kids around and talk to them and just give them a moment, a moment of some wisdom, which is usually tie your shoes, tuck in your shirt, put your hat on straight, all those kind of things with the 10, 11, 12-year-olds I got. The reason I showed you that clip right there, besides it makes me cry every time I see it, <clears throat> is because of the intensity of the last moments, right before this game. If you know anything about that, Norman, would you say that's the best Sports movie, or, or is it close? Who thinks the best? Is that Rudy up there? I think Rudy's up there, man. But Hoosiers, man, definitely top five. All time. Will never be taken off the top five. Hoosiers. And if you have to see the whole movie to see kind of how he gets there. And that moment when, he, I don't even know if I can do this now. <clears throat> I'll try. That moment when he puts his hands in there and he just looks at all these guys and just says, I love you guys. God, I just lose it every time. Um, and there's something about that. Now, whether or not you're going, like going oh gosh, this is going to be a sports sermon, great, I'm going to check out, I'm done. <laughs> whether or not you're into sports, there's something about this, you're going to go try to do something very, very risky. You could be humiliated, you could be hurt, and there's something about the few moments before that where you gather together and you have some, some important words. If any of you have ever been uh, whitewater rafting on anywhere that... I know another sport, but just we'll talk about scrapbooking next or something. But uh, <clears throat> I love you guys. Let's let's post them in. Uh, um, uh, if you ever been whitewater rafting, uh, I went whitewater rafting in Colorado on the, I believe it was the Arkansas River. And when you go whitewater rafting, uh, they kind of give you the little huddle meeting on the water when you're going. And you're kind of being bounced all over the place. And when I went, there was a very capable and very strong woman who was at the, Noah's Ark was the name of the thing, and she was very good with the, the oars and everything. And she said, we're being bounced around now, and she says, when we get to the rapids, and I'm thinking, when we get to the rapids, what is this? Oh, no, 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 this is nothing. And then she gave instructions on how to do the rapids. Now, the rapids are one thing, and then there's this point called Big Drop. Anybody ever been through Big Drop? You have. You know what I'm talking about then. It's like a, what is it, about a 300-foot drop? No. Is it, is it 20 feet or something like that? It, it, anybody, it is seriously a, a drop where you drop down and then you, you, you basically go through a wall of water. It just, it, I've never experienced anything like it before. And she's telling you basically how to ditch out of the boat and how to, when you're in the water, how to survive until they get you for a quarter mile downstream. Now, let me just tell you, I was with three, I was with four other guys, myself and uh, three or four other guys, and we were in the boat, and not one of them was saying a word. We were listening to what she had to say. Because when you're floating downstream and there's big drops involved, you want to know how to live. <laughs> Same thing with this. We're at a point in the Gospel of John right now, the Gospel of John from chapter 13 through chapter 16, which will end next week, is this meeting where they're sitting in the locker room or they're going down where they think it's rapids and they're in the lifeboat or in, in the raft and they're, and they're talking about what's about to come. 
It is a point where Jesus Christ lays down the most important instructions he's going to give his disciples. We've been in this for a while. We've got one more week. We're going to look at this week something that I think is one of the most radical parts of what he has talked about. So if you want to open up your Bible, you can kind of skim through. We're going to recap kind of what's happened in the huddle meeting so far. He literally does tell them, I love you guys, in this whole thing. And he does that right away in chapter 13. In chapter 13, if you remember from this, he gets down when they're all actually fighting, as we saw in Luke chapter something, Luke chapter something, it's not coming to my mind, I don't know, 20, I think it's 20, uh, where they're, they're fighting about who's the greatest. Jesus gets down, wraps a, row, a towel around his waist, and he kneels down and he cleans these guys' feet. Jesus reinvents what it means to be Lord. Jesus reinvents what it means to be a leader. When the Lord of the universe, God Almighty, comes down, he cleans their stinky, fungus, toe jam stuff out between their feet. If that doesn't boggle your mind, I don't know what will. That's Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you don't have any picture of who Jesus is, you think he's someone who's just there to, to condemn you, he is there to wash your feet. And he shows, it's called in this passage, the full extent of his love. It's amazing. In John chapter 13, the first part of it. In the second part of it, he then betray, he, he then talks about the fact that some will betray him. There will be people who will betray him. Particularly one of the 12 guys who's sitting around that table. Judas will betray him. Then he goes on to talk about how you can let people know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's by the fact that you're marked by love. Marked by love, not just right doctrine. And believe me, right doctrine is important. You understand the right things about the Bible. Not the fact that you go to church on Sunday morning. And that's an important thing. Come to church on a Sunday morning. I, I, I love that people are here on Sunday mornings. I like coming Sunday mornings. In 10 years of being the pastor, though, I've never told anyone that they should come to this church. Never. In fact, in the early days of Hope, we used to meet at a different building and with these long stairways. And there'd be people coming up the stairs and they would... They would act embarrassed because they hadn't been in a while. And I'm just, well, yeah, I mean, we missed you, but it's not a rule here. There's no rule if you, you know, church is a good thing. It's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. Love. Is love something that, that characterizes us? Then he goes on to tell them that there are three things that he is going to restore. And if you're good like this dude, you tattoo him on your arm. In Latin, that's really hip. Uh, via means Latin people. Way. Via, like the via this, or I'm going via the, the road. Uh, verita, veritas means truth. And uh, vita, 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 vitamin, vita means life. There's three things that Jesus Christ came to, uh, to change. He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And you remember that week? We looked at it. We looked at the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation. And we talked about how Jesus Christ is going to bring those two together. Remember, if you remember in that sermon, I said to you, I said, hey, I'm going to preach the whole Bible today. We looked at the first two chapters of Genesis, the last two chapters of, of Revelation. I go sit down right there and Calvin leans over to me and goes, you only spoke about three books, Dad. There's 63 more to talk about. So I thought, I better get back up here and talk some more. He wanted me to preach the other 63 books of the Bible, I guess. Um, Then he goes on to talk about how love is really tested. Love is tested by obedience. Now, obedience, 
I, I put a dog there. Now, just, just hang with me here for a minute. It's, it's not like obey, obey like a dog. It's more like obey like a dog. In other words, for instance, oh, that's so wise. Grasshopper must take from. Um, what I mean by that is this. Well, I used to have a golden retriever, and I had a tennis ball. And I would take the tennis ball and throw it. And then I would say, Ripley, go on. Go get the tennis No, no, no way. I would throw that tennis ball if I got lucky enough to get it out of my hand. And I would throw that thing. And that dog would just run because it was designed to run. He was set free to run. We'd take him up to my uncle's farm. We'd watch that dog be in dog heaven. He would chase living things. He would run out. One of the things that he loved to chase had a big white stripe on the back of its black tail. A lot of tomato juice was used. This dog was alive. He was set free. He didn't have to be on a leash. He was just dogness all weekend. That's what obedience is. Obedience is not, oh, man, i got to do that. Obedience is freedom. And that's how love is tested, is by if you're obeying. And then a couple weeks back, we talked about Jesus giving this, and he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He's walking with his disciples. He sees, I assume, some type of vegetation. He tells them, I'm the vine, or I'm the tree. You guys are, or I'm the, the trunk of the tree. You guys are the branches. That's the most important Christian secret is to remember who's who. He's the, he's the tree. He's the vine. You're the branch. The fruit will come. You're not the, you're not the sum of your success. God gives that. That's the big Christian secret. Are you abiding in the vine? Are you hanging on? Are you just staying? Or is a branch saying, I'm going to stay in the tree and all I'm going to do is suck? That's what you're supposed to do. Be a straw and be a branch. That's what your role is. The great Christians, the, uh, Christian secret of how to have life. Remember, this is all in the huddle now. This is important stuff. Jesus is telling his disciples. Last thing before we get to what we're talking about today is what Cor talked about last week is just to let you know what I'm letting you out of here for, what the rapids are that are coming ahead, the world hates you. I like that picture. Um, <laughs> and for good reason, if you can't see it down. The world hates you, and for good reason, it says. Jesus said, if, if the world hates me, it, it'll, it'll hate you, because you're followers of me. Do not wait for those around you to applaud you for being a follower of Jesus. It's not going to happen. You might think, well, I'm not loving them enough for all that. You might be just following Jesus as well as you possibly can, and they may still mock you for being a follower of Jesus. Now, hopefully, they'll realize how silly that is and turn from their ways. But, but listen, I used to mock Christians in high school. I mocked them. So, hello, I'm part of the problem. And if you went a period of your life without being a follower of Jesus, you probably mocked people too. Who just thought, oh, these religious nuts. Just lighten up. The world hates you now. With all that, that's still in the huddle. We're going to spend two more weeks in this huddle period. This week. If that's true, if the last thing you said, if the rapids are coming, all these different things you're trying to teach me are true, but the rapids are coming, the rapids are that the world hates me, can it possibly get any worse? And the answer is yes. Listen to this, John 16, 1 through 4. I believe Cor at least read these last week. I want to read them again as a setup for what we're talking about. 
Jesus said, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. Hello, what? The, the, The synagogue was the religious cultural community in a Jewish setting. You're telling me they're going to kick me out of the religion? It's like you come in here, and if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to drag you out of here and say, get out of here. That is crazy talk. They're going to kick you out. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. In fact, it's going to get worse. A time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Who who in the Bible does that remind you of? Saul. Later his name was? Paul, right, wrote, ended up writing much of the New Testament. God has a sense of humor, right? This guy ended up writing most of the New Testament. He was the one who viewed it as his responsibility to rid the world of the scum of the earth, these Christians. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you or because you probably would have all run away. Now, huddle continues. Huddle continues. How are we going to make it? How are the followers of Jesus Christ going to make it? How are the disciples, the first ones, ever going to make it if the end of John 15 and the beginning of John 16 is true? How is that going to happen? Jesus gives the answer. First thing. Three things he's going to give in this particular passage. He's going to give some more next week. First thing. And it's a question. Is it good... That Jesus went away. I have, yes it is. Good answer, very good answer. You've read ahead, that's cheating. Um, It is a good thing, but that blows my mind. Because I often think, oh man, I'm in the middle of this decision or whatever. If I could just have a physical Jesus right now to talk to, it'd be done. I'd be able to go to him and I'd, I'd ask him a question. And you know what? He'd probably just ask me a question back, wouldn't he, knowing Jesus? He probably would. Jesus says it's actually better that he is no longer physically present, that something new has happened. Look at John 16, starting at verse 5. He says, Now I'm going to him who sent me. He's foreshadowing what's going to happen in, by, the, by the cross, the resurrection, and then later the ascension. When he, after, after 40 days, he's going to ascend up to heaven. Now this process is in motion. Judas has left. The whole process, tick, 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 tick. We're going on to it. It's going to happen. Now, I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? You're you're not really super jazzed about the fact that a new element of history is going to begin. Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. Verse 7. But, now... Verse 7 is one of the most beautiful buts in the Bible. You've got to circle those. There are some in the Bible that just, there's this, this is very bleak thing and all of a sudden it says, but, and then, ooh, there it is, verse 7, but. I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. When Jesus Christ gets ascended, if you read from the book of Acts, we see it. After that, that triggers a new portion of life. We live now in a different age. The age of the Spirit. The Spirit has come in a way it didn't before. And we live on this side of it. 
Some days I just wish, just so we'd understand, that it'd be turned off and you go, whoa, turn it back on. So you'd understand. It's kind of like going outside and it's cold and then you come inside and get in front of the fire. It's nice and warm. We live in front of the fireplace. It's nice and warm. We don't realize how cold it is outside. We don't understand what it was like when it wasn't, when the spirit wasn't there at, in, in its excess like it is now. Now, the word, the word that uh, John uses for the spirit is this word counselor. It's a weird word. It's not used by anybody else. It's it, and it, it, it's counselor is actually a pretty good translation, but it doesn't mean if you go in for counseling. It's not that kind of counselor. It's counselor like a law counselor. You know, when you're in a court of law and you say, counselor, what do you think? It's an advocate. Maybe that's a better word. Some versions have advocate. Uh, some versions don't even translate the word because they leave it in the original Greek, which, which is paraclete. So they, they just leave it there because it's not really a good translation. Now that's, I think, not so good, but... But it's, it's more like a legal, legal ad, advice. Go to the next one. There, it's the person who's standing and giving you legal counsel is your helper. It's your, it's your counselor. It's that kind of thing. That's what the word is talking about. And this is the fourth time that it's promised. We saw it in John 14. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey what I command. And I will ask a father and he will give you another counselor, advocate to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, it's real important you see something here, is that every time that the, the Spirit is talked about, in almost, now, I haven't studied this through, so I want to be careful on this. Maybe somebody can correct me on this. This is the beauty of two services, because in between you have those people that do. But I don't think anywhere else in the Bible, other than what we're going to see, does the Spirit talk about working on people outside of the faith. And even here, it just says, it says the world cannot accept him. So you got this, the spirit, the counsel, just, they don't accept his counsel. They don't expect his judgments. They don't expect, uh, accept what he says. Uh, later on in, in chapter 14, he says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, and do not give as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Because this counselor is coming. Otherwise you're toast. Chapter 15. When the counselor comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify, he will put a beacon on me and testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. And then on that passage, which I read before John, the beginning of John chapter 16, all right? Now, in all those passages, it talks about the advocate being a helper for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, as they were in that locker room there around Jesus, it was to be a helper for you. We're going to find, at least to my knowledge, the only place here in the next few verses where it talks about the Spirit doing something on those outside of the locker room, those people who are not followers of Jesus. Next passage, starting in verse 8. And it says that the advocate, this counselor, will convict those who do not follow, yet follow Jesus. Verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world in, in guilt, of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness... Because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regards to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. 
All right, so what it's basically saying is that the Spirit of God, and it's the only passage I know of, and again, I've said that three times, so maybe somebody's going to fix me, raise a hand. And, but the, the Spirit of God actually does something besides just working in followers of Christ. He works on the world, and he works in three ways. And they're three pretty huge ways. The first one, go to the next one. There. Yeah, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Now, let's just talk about that for a second. What does that mean? That means that there is a God who has a code, a moral code, and there's something in people that they feel convicted about. Let's use that word convict. What does it mean to be a convict? It means to be found guilty, right? That's what it means. When you say I'm convicted of something, it means you are guilty of something. That's what the phrase means. Or it means that you are convinced of something to the point where you act upon it. Like I have a conviction about something. But in this sense, it means that I'm pointing to you and proving to you that you are a sinner. It's the most freeing thing you can know, by the way, that you're a sinner. Those of you in the room who don't think you're a sinner, you don't appreciate this a whole lot. Because it's, you know, it's a band-aid. Those of you who've understood the nature of sin understand how beautiful that thing is. I'm just going to take a second. Uh, during worship, I just thought, I'm going to unpack this a little bit. <laughs> Uh, it's because I think it's important. What does it mean to be a sinner? What is sin? Really stop and think about it. What does it mean to sin? What does it mean I don't follow all the Ten Commandments? When's the last time you didn't honor your mother and father, to bore false testimony, uh, use the Lord's name in vain, da-da-da-da-da-da-da? Well, you know, well, I don't know. I don't do that a whole lot. Maybe I have like one or two sins a day is what you're thinking. Eh, maybe I have to think about those things uh, oh, the lust thing. Okay, maybe I got three or four sins a day. All right, good. You got to think about what sin is. Sin. Now, I, I don't have this on the screen because, like I said, I thought of this during worship. I'm going to go over there. Uh, Romans chapter 1 talks about what sin is. If you've got your Bible, just flip it open to Romans chapter 1. And if you... Uh, Start in verse uh, 21. Ah, let's go back to 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. There's a holding down. It's not just I don't see it. It's you suppress it. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what have been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither, here it comes, glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Glorified him and gave thanks. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, and here's the wrath of God being revealed. You think, oh, the wrath of God's not being revealed. Here it is. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And you know what the wrath of God is? He lets you. All right, you want to chase after a career? You think that's going to fill you up? You want that to be your, want that to be your God? You want the American dream to be your God? White picket fence, 2.5 kids, great-looking vehicles out front, and a, and a ranch-style house? You want that to be your God? You know what the wrath of God is? Go for it. That's the wrath of God. 
Oh, they look like their lives are all together. Then they're counseling. Nothing satisfies me. Exactly. It won't. It's not designed to. A house is designed to sleep in, not to worship. Okay, that's enough. Um, I'm preaching now, but I guess that's what I'm doing. anyway. Therefore, God gave them over. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and, and worshipped and served. And here it comes, the definition of sin. Created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. What's the definition of sin? Worshipping created things rather than the creator. Whenever you find in your heart a, a preference for something created or something other than God, it's sin. That's it. Simple. Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 2 uh, flip back to your Old Testament. It's right after Isaiah there. If you're, it's, on, uh, it's on page 700 if you're in my Bible. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. We're just going to spend one verse here. So Jeremiah 2, 13. God is complaining about the people of Israel. He says this. He says, my people have committed two sins. Two sins. One, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and number two, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What's the sin? The sin is forsaking God and trying to let something else fill you up. Everyone in this room is religious. Everyone. I don't care if you wandered in here and you have no interest in God whatsoever. You are religious. You have a cistern. It, it is, it's just a fact. Every one of you has a God. Is the God God? Now here's the convicting question. And I point, when I point a finger at you, I got three coming back at me. Is your God, God equals Jesus? Is your God equals Jesus 24-7? Is your God equals Jesus when you're barking at your kids to get going on the lawn like I was last night? No. Is there a command that says, thou shalt not bark at thy kids about lawn care? No. But God was not my God. You know what my God was? Bed. This had to be done. I'm going to bed. I don't know about you, but when you get older, bed is your God. Now, I'm all about enjoying sleep. Believe me, I'm about enjoying sleep. There's a difference between enjoying and worshiping, though. Whenever you let yourself slip down, and I prefer things other than God, the Spirit of God convicts me, and I realize. So how many sins? I probably have 10,000 sins a day. By the grace of God, He doesn't let me see them all. If you think, people say, what if you die and you haven't confessed a sin? Dude, I got thousands I haven't confessed. I just say, God, whatever you're not, by your grace, not letting me see... Forgive me. Because there, there's thousands of things going on every day where I prefer created things rather than the creator. If you think you got one, two, or three, dude, dude, get around your friends and ask them. They'll list a few more. <laughs> ask the Holy Spirit. I'm not seeing any sin in my life. Can you open the door a little wider? Oh, okay. <laughs> he will convict the world of sin. He will convict the world of sin. And then what's the antidote to that? Because men do not believe in me. The antidote to sin is not, oh, I'm going to do it better next time. The antidote to sin is to cling to that cross. That's the antidote. Cling to Jesus. Second thing. In regard to righteousness. Righteousness and justice are the same words. Okay, In the Bible, those two words can be interchanged. 
So in regard to justice or righteousness, you're going to be convicted. We will all be convicted because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. There's two possible, I'm not even sure which one to take on this. There's two possible ways to understand it. And quite honestly, John, because he's kind of tricksy, might mean both on this. The one would be that the justice that's going to happen to Christ was the most unjust thing that ever happened. The the conviction of Jesus Christ and the crucifixion of him was the most unjust act ever done. An innocent man, completely innocent, never sinned once in his life, goes to the cross. It's completely unjust. And by him going to the Father, it proves that he vindicated his, his justice. Secondly, though, it could possibly mean that ourselves, we will understand ourselves that we are unrighteous. We are unrighteous. Because Christ going to the Father proves to us that we convicted, we were the ones who put the nails in him, We also are pointed that way. We are unjust. Third thing. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. People know that they're going to die. People not only know that they're going to die, they know heart of hearts, they're going to stand before an almighty God. Jesus said that when he went to the cross, Satan was already condemned. It was a done deal. Now, he's out on parole or something right now. It's not completely finished, but his sentence has been set in stone. It will happen. Because of that, because of the cross, because of the final work, it shows that all who do not yet have their sins covered, all who are not yet followers of Jesus, are standing in the same place. Now, if that's the first time in your life you heard that, it's the best possible news you could hear. Why? Because there's a remedy. It's called Christianity. The remedy is not about a religion. It's about a relationship with the risen Lord who you say, oh my goodness, that's what the cross took care of. That's that's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus came. And this morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ, my encouragement is just call out to Him. Say, Lord, you be my Savior. I need you to cover my sin. Your payment, your penalty, I'll take that. It's as simple as that. You dedicate your life to him. You say, today, I want to be a follower of Jesus. It's as simple as that. Now, he's going to convict the world. But there's also an advocate. This advocate, he does work for us. We're going to see this this weekend next. Let's just hit one of them right now to close up with this morning. He says, I have much more to say to you, John 16, 12. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. It's like it goes from the Father to the Son to the Son to the Spirit and the Spirit spits it on you. And Jesus said a remarkable thing here to those guys in the locker room. There's some new things you're going to learn. Read the book of Acts. There's new things. Peter, go out and hang out with Gentiles. It's a new thing in the book of Acts. There's new things that happen through the disciples. Jesus Christ will teach you things now. I'm not saying he's going to go doctrinally beyond what's in the Bible, but he's going to teach you things. He will speak things to you. Now, all of this, all this put together means that we will make it through the storms with the help of the Holy Spirit. You will. He just got done saying, you're going to have really a hard time in this life. In fact, some people are going to kill you and think they're offering service to God. But you'll make it through it. 
Let me read two passages where it's a promise, clear promise, that you will make it through the storms with the help of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 43, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, okay, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you, but you're going to pass through them. When you walk through the fire, you're going through the fire, but you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, but you're going through the fire but I promise to be there with you. Paul says it in Romans 8. He says, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are called sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Let me ask you right now. Whatever situation you are in right now, whatever it is, are you trusting in the Spirit of God to help you through it? Let's pray. Jesus, it's hard for me to imagine how what we have now is better than what the apostles had, but you said it, so I'll believe it. Lord, there are many of us in this room right now who are feeling the weight of the Spirit on our lives in one area or another. And Spirit, I'm glad. I prayed that you'd come. I prayed that you would come and convict of sin and righteousness and judgment on us. I prayed that you would come and you'd teach us. I pray that you'd come and challenge us and encourage us. Jesus, I praise you that you love us exactly the way that we are, but you love us too much to leave us there. So God, this morning by your spirit, I ask that you do a work in our lives. I pray, Lord God, if there are people here this morning who for the first time in their lives realize not that they only have sin, but they're a sinner and it's like a cancer. They don't need a Band-Aid. They need healing. And that comes from the cross. So Jesus, I pray that this morning you just grant them the courage to bend their knee to you and to say, Jesus, Lord, in every area of my life, you are Lord and you're my Savior. And I give you my sin and I won't be judged by it because you've taken it. Lord, I pray for us in this room who maybe come to a point in our lives where we're doing that on a, on a constant basis, but we, we struggle from time to time. And your promise to your spirit is that you will teach. So Lord God, I ask for that. Even as we sing this last song, supernaturally speak to every person in this room. Teach them what you want them to do. Show them. Guide them. Scream in our ears because in the other ear is the boombox of our own interests and, our, and the world and everything else. Scream in our ears what we need to hear. And then, Lord God, give us the courage to obey, realizing we're most free when we do obey. We pray all this in Jesus' name.